welcome to the Cinematologist podcast in Berlin. And I'm sat here with the man himself, Neil Fox. How you doing? Very well. Uh, yeah, very well. Tired, but yep. excited and happy to see you and be in Berlin and cinematologizing in the uh, the heart of it. It's yeah, it feels like the world has kind of, kind of synced up, you know what I mean, in the last few days. I mean, it's been a great few days for me, seen a lot of stuff, but then, you know, obviously you and our colleague Mark came in last night, we had a good chat, and looking forward to the day, lots planned for today. We've already seen a film, which we'll talk about in just a second. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the first of what is going to be two episodes, so my batch of films that I've seen and comments and interviews is to come. There's definitely been some themes that have come out, great films, terrible films, um, which you'll hear all about with uh, some of the interviews that we've uh, that we've got, but I don't know, from, from afar, Neil, what's your, you know, watching and, and commenting on social media and seeing the photos, what, what's been your sort of you know, outside observations of the way things have been going down. Uh, yeah, I think the competition seems really interesting. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, there's a kind of polarizing mix in there of really good and really bad or misfires or just kind of weird stuff. But it, it felt like a festival trying to spread what the competition is, you know, and that goes for the film that we saw this morning and one we're going to see this afternoon, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell really because you see people's tastes and what people really love and what's been interesting is so many films have seemed divisive the Christian Petzold which I know you saw and is in this episode seems very divisive but First Cow seems universally yep. liked which is interesting because I I was always hopeful because I love Curly Reichardt and I'm seeing it later today thanks to you you got me a ticket which is really, really <laughs> no kind um, but it was very quiet out of Sundance like it didn't get but here it seems to have really had a response where a lot of critics and a lot of the the high-profile critics really falling for it and kind of re- really into it, which is which is great because we love Kelly. But that was interesting that a film that a lot of the same responses to the films out of Sundance are here as well. But that seems quite different, yeah. um, or maybe I just missed it out of Sundance. But yeah, that's um, that's exciting, and yeah, it just feels following on social media just reminding me of what I really like about this festival. It's just it feels like a positive place even when the films aren't great it feels mm. like a good place for conversation um, maybe because I follow a lot of people who come here yeah yeah. you know and that always helps when you're kind of in that in that side of things but uh, yeah and it was kind of exciting to watch it unfold and then know I was coming out and going to hang out with you and watch the movies absolutely so um, this first episode that is coming up now is my coverage of the first three days so there's some of uh, some comments from me in monologue and then we also have a series of interviews coming up so i talked to the film critics joseph owen savina petkova alex billington and serena skateni so they all give their comments and you'll 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 see as these interviews progress the the, the recurrent themes do do come out but hopefully it's not repetitive but because i think all of them have something interesting to say but there's a couple of uh, films that i didn't get to see so that's always nice when somebody just gives a, an opinion on something that we we haven't seen but um before we get to that we have just come out of the new hong sang su movie which is called the woman who ran and we were just debating whether we'd seen any hong sang su films before and I haven't. I definitely haven't either, haven't. I don't think. So this yeah. is like a case of now, Look, just looking at the the oeuvre, it, it looks like it's going to have to be a filling in the blind spot, I think, for the cinematologists here. This is really a filmmaker, just judging by that, what we've just seen, that 
you know, we, we should know more about, really. Yeah, I read an in- there was a good piece on him in last month's Sight and Sound, and I, I read that because I knew that he had a film in here in competition here. He's just really prolific, I think. There's so oh, yeah, many, loads. and it's like you know where to start, and you know hadn't necessarily found a way in. So this was this felt like a good whet your appetite and see if it's a filmmaker that you're going to be into and I was like oh yeah this is a filmmaker I'm really going to be into yeah it was really great it was a really great start for me you know because it was my first one in the room but it felt like a really yeah and that's what I was saying about the competition it felt like a 75 minute you know slow soft quiet drama uh, comedy drama because it's very Mm. funny in places playing in competition felt like a like a good thing and you know it was obvious that, that this filmmaker has a has a stylistic intent but it's not like a over directed mm. you know here here are the, here's this filmmaker's ticks but you could you, you could tell that there's there's definitely um, a cinematic sensibility and a name going yeah. on through form yeah, yeah. as well as the fact that he's making films which domestic realism mm. and you know it, it, it's a kind of lazy comparison to, to say they were a bit like Ozu or Eric Roma mm. they're the obvious um, comparisons but I think what's what's interesting is that the thematics the idea of the small domestic dramas and the the idea of people things being said and not being said and I thought the first half was particularly strong and then there's this one moment at which we can talk about um, which is so cinematically perfect that I don't know whether the the rest of the film kind of there's nothing in the rest of the film that quite hits that note it's hard hard to it's hard to match that moment isn't it because it's it's so perfect yeah yeah, and I think what's interesting is that it definitely shifts in the second half. And like you were saying about what's not said, it's also about the repetition. And yeah, yeah, in this yeah. film, that the central character repeats things and starts to, and you start to kind of get a sense of yeah. what's underneath the surface in really, really subtle ways. And it, you know, so the first half is is it feels much more idiosyncratic, and then, and then it kind of literally shifts into into something else. Um, yeah, and it, those comparisons do seem act in that sense because I think that in, in both of those there's a real humanity at the heart of it and that, that, that just felt really resonant here like you say with, with a very simple but clear directorial style yeah. to tell the story um, I felt really confident as well like this this you know like we, we've said this before it's nice to be in the hands of a filmmaker who's like I know what I'm doing and yep. this is what I want to do um, the performances were really good yeah, yeah. Um, so Kim Min-, Min Hee is the main main character per se in inverted commas but she's a she's a regular isn't she yeah, um, apparently so yeah so and, and really kind of like a character who is clearly kind of beset by what you might call social anxieties not in the sense of being you know she's not confident of, of talking but, but the idea of what society thinks and what her friends think or, or the, the people that she's interacting and how she interacts with them there's this sort of uh, subtext of the politics of everyday life I think is going on isn't there? yeah yeah isn't there yeah there's yeah she's she's incredibly watchable and very relatable in that sense of someone who like you say is is not unconfident and not kind of success unsuccessful but but just struggling like most people are to kind of work out where do I fit and where you know where's my place and what's my place now. Yeah. But in in a in a very simple way, it just remind me there for some reason that the, what I really liked about the film as well was how it used kind of CCTV and surveillance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that, um, wasn't there? You know, and Watching. she watches. Yeah, yeah. She watches things that she can't hear um, or can't you know as clear and kind yeah. of where she gets her sense of what 
is going on in other people's yeah. lives and how she relates that to herself was really, really beautifully played. There's, there's one scene where the first, she visits three people in the film. Yeah. Or it's, it's, yeah, there's three, three sections and, and she visits three people. And in the first section, which is where this amazing scene happens, there's a, there's a beautiful scene afterwards where she's watching the person she's staying with talking to a, a, a girl who's smoking yeah. on the, and it's just, it's such a, again, such a really beautifully handled scene and she watches and you can't hear what's going on and there's such a lovely moment on the screen and you're really with her trying to, mm. you know, trying to make that kind of connection, which is impossible through the, yeah. through that screen. And, and his, his camera, his directorial camera actually mirrors that surveillance element, yeah. doesn't it? Because at the start of all of these scenes, it's kind of set back in what would be probably a mid shot. But then at specific moments, he uses this soft zoom, it's I suppose. Zoom. Yeah, 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 soft yeah. zoom, isn't it? And goes in. And it, it just reminds you there's somebody behind the camera mm. making a choice yeah. then. It's, yeah, yeah. But it's not kind of like overbearing. And then there's one moment when it happens in this scene that we've talked about with you know, possibly the greatest bit of cat acting in the history of cinema, it's, you, you it's could a, argue. It's a high point for cats. Definitely. Yeah, indeed. And then he just zooms in and, and you're like... And it got a round of applause you know, yeah. and we were in a press screening, so it's full of cynical hacks, and that, and they all, you know, it was a big round of it applause was a big round for this, and a big for literally for, well. a, for, yeah. a, for this Zoom, and you were like, wow, when a, a, a moment of kind of like film technique or grammar stands up so so brilliantly, you know. Yeah, because he'd been using, like you say, he'd been using the Zoom already, yeah. so you knew it was in the arsenal, as it were. Yeah. And then the moment was building where, and it's a great scene where. The, so that the main character staying with a friend, someone knocks at the door and has moved in, and it says, um, "Can you stop feeding these stray cats? Because my wife is scared of cats and she won't come out." And it's this beautiful scene about why they're going to keep feeding the cats. Yeah. And then in the corner of the frame, this cat is there and just delivers one of the best performances you've ever seen. From, and just sort of not yacht, just from a cat, yeah, just yeah. from anything. Really. I mean, it, it's a look into camera as good as Tilda Swinton has ever done. Yeah, I think it, is it really is that that good. Yeah. And then, and then there's, there is this zoom in and. It's like we're all in on the joke. And yeah. It's kind of it's so genuine, and it was joyous. It was an absolutely joyous. Yeah. And the whole place was was lifted by it. Yeah. And it felt felt very special indeed. Yeah. And if if only for that, you can see why why the, yeah he's a filmmaker that's regarded as as highly as he is. Um, and it's nice to see that what, a thousand people kind of just like yes, this is this is great. This is this is kind of pure cinema, as you say. Lovely, lovely moment. Brilliant. So it's going to be interesting to see how you think that, because that was a high point of a start, and I started with Kelly Reichardt's first cow, which is the, the movie that you will hear me talking about in a, in a moment. But interesting how, whether or not anything lives up to yeah. what you've just seen, yeah, yeah. having seen something so good so, so early. You know? But that's what I love about the festivals, is that there's always that hope. And it, what was great about it was it was one that... It wasn't on my first watch list. It wasn't on the kind of the films I have to see were Kelly Reichardt um, and the Siming Ling and uh, I can't remember there was another one. Um, they were like, like three films like I must see these films and then one of the oh it's the Raoul Ruiz but that hasn't right. shown while I'm here so I won't get to see that. Okay. So they were the three like I must see yeah. if I'm there. And then the Hong Sang Soo was in the yeah, yeah. the next lot but it was it was on while I'm here so I'm like okay well I'll catch it. So yeah, 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 yeah. that's what's really exciting is you, I kind of know the name and yeah. I know people who really like him. Um, you know, sort of friends of ours, Felicity and James Maitre, are both really, mm. really like Hong Sang Soo. So it was like, okay, I know that there's pedigree there. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, this is this yeah, is this awesome. is great. Uh, before we sort of crack into the main bulk of the episode, though, this is your. Uh, be good to sort of chat to you because obviously it's the first time you've been here as as press. You know, have you enjoyed that kind yeah. of side of it, the kind of press screenings? It's, and it is a different experience, I have to say. I mean, you do you are concentrated around 
Potsdamer Platz, where obviously all the press accreditation and uh, administration is basically. But yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant in terms of. I feel like I've, I have definitely been in the, the meat of the festival. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think when you come from the outside, and because the, the ticketing system is so clandestine, <laughs> let's say, um, it's very hard to get a sort of program in place beforehand. Whereas, you know, this is the first time I've been seeing a lot of competition films for the first time yeah. and it's just it, it's just fantastic because it is well run when you're here in the main and I think you know apart from that that, I, that that complaint about that it's very difficult to sort of get your hands on tickets if you've not got the press badge if you if you have and it obviously it's yeah. been great to get that through the, the podcast it, it is really good to be able to see all the films that you really want to see and it's been easy to get into the press screenings and but to be honest my, my schedule has sort of changed but I did do one of the great things was that I went out to I think my favourite cinema in, in Berlin is the Colosseum and I uh, I went out to see this film called Little Girl Petit Fille and it was just one of those where I just looked on the list what's coming up in the next hour what can I get to went up to the uh, the press screening ticketing office because as a, you know with a press pass you can actually apply for tickets for the main you know for any screening really if there's any left so I got that one I didn't know anything about it wandered out there and my god I was absolutely blown away so it was a documentary um, about this um, this girl Sasha who had um, uh, gender dysmorphia or who has gender dysmorphia and you know I'm being careful of my language here because it's defined like that in the in the film and the family she's only young and the family are having to try to deal with all of the obstacles and difficulties of that but the, the, the strength of the film is actually articulating in a honest truthful and totally affecting way that this is a real thing it's not like it's not like something that's made up you know what I mean, I mean that, you know you listen to sort of a lot of commentary from I don't know how to say it, sort of, you know, much more scientifically minded people about, you know, the, the relationship between sex and gender and, and, and you know, the idea of uh, the difference between nature and nurture and the empiricism of, of biological sex and all this kind of stuff. And as opposed to socially constructed gender, you know, and it plays through all of those in a way that is realised in on the body and in the mind of this child. So the director's name was Sebastian Lichnitz, a French director, and he actually reminded me of the best of Nicolas Philibert. So it had that sort of sense of, there was a delicacy there, which I saw in Etre Ervoir, which is one of my favourite documentaries of all time. But a little bit with the, similar to the Hang Song Su film, there's this moment in the middle where she goes to see like a central kind of psychiatrist in Paris because the school that she's in is not, um, will not let her dress as a girl. So, you know, it's not even about, she's not even reached puberty yet, but they want her to go to school wearing a dress and with long hair, and the school won't let her. And they said, we need proof that this is a real thing. So she has to go to the central cycle. And it's a long take that is just uninterrupted and probably about 15 minutes long. And the, you know, the psychologist is brilliant, sort of asking a question and the mum there, the mum's kind of like, gets emotional and trying to, just telling the story. And, you know, the little girl is sort of giving a little bit away bit by bit. And there's just this moment where you can, she sort of goes quiet and she starts to tear up. And it's just, de it's just devastating. The, the, I mean, I, w I was like in tears, but the, there was a woman sat next to me and she was just 
she was destroyed, mm. honestly. It was amazing. And it, it, it was funny because I'd just come out of the Garoni Pinocchio, which I wasn't particularly impressed by. I'm not going to talk about that. But the difference was just like yeah. night and day. And, and yeah. And that was an accidental screening. So, you know, that was a long winded way of, around of getting, yeah, it's great to have the, the press accreditation, but there's nothing like that. Yeah. You know, serendipitous little trip out to a cinema on the, on, in the east yeah. side of the, the city and see something you didn't really know about and it, and it just blows your mind brilliant great I'm excited to hear the rest of it uh, great good start yeah brilliant so um, going back in time this is me from the beginning of the festival um, with the various guests that I've named talking about the first few days and the films that I saw So it is day two of the Berlin Film Festival, day two for me anyway, and that's obviously what counts here. Um, I've just gotten out of the new Christian Petzold movie, which is called Undina. Uh, more of that to come a, a little bit later on, I think, maybe in one of the further recordings. I think there's a lot to say about it, and I haven't quite got my head around what I actually think at this point. Um, I wanted to make an earlier recording yesterday but it was a bit of a hectic day really I mean my first full day so I got in on the uh, Friday evening and then was straight into it on uh, Saturday morning so I had to go and pick up my badge and this is the first time that I've come here with with a press pass so I was kind of unsure how to sort all of that out and then I got I got on the wrong train the wrong underground train to start with no I got on the right train and then went past the stop that I needed to change at and then that set me back 20 minutes or so and then I got to the uh, the main the main hotel which is the setup where you you pick up your press pass and then really realized I didn't have my uh, passport with me I'd already sort of sorted out what I was going to see for the first day and the first screening was at 12 o'clock just a very quick one on the first three films I saw yesterday and the first one was Kelly Reichardt and her new film First Cow um, it's funny because I haven't really had time to read up on any of the films. In a sense, I've just been looking at general synopses and then perhaps even not that, just the, the main filmmaker. And once I'd seen that Kelly Reichardt was going to screen a film here, it was obviously quite high on the list. We've talked about her films in the past uh, on the podcast. I mean, first thing to say, this is very much in the Meeks cutoff territory of Kelly Reichardt's work. So it's a very earthy, sinewy almost anti-mythos western I mean Meeks Cutoff I think is, is, does have nods to the kind of genre of, of of the western in the more classical sense but this is almost more like a Werner Herzog movie you know hacking your way through the jungle in the mire and the dirt and the mud so it's got that that real earthiness to it which I think when you think of Kelly Reichardt's representations of I mean it's it's simplistic to say it's kind of kind of like rural Landscapes, but almost kind of like the way she she puts you really inside that that sort of haptic experience of being in the mud. You can almost sort of feel the damp and the hardship that's at the at the forefront of this movie. So, interestingly, it, it starts off in the modern era. There's this great sort of static shot, but of a of a tanker going past a sort of commercialized tanker, and it, and of course, there's always uh, there always seems to be a lot of dogs in uh, Kelly Reichardt's films, and the, and the film begins with his dog digging up a, a particular spot on the ri- riverbank, and then the owner comes comes across and to see what the what the dog has been digging up, and and she she discovers two skeletons there, 
So it kind of sets the tone for what the story is going to be, who are these two skeletons. And then we get this flashback and it places us, you know, what I'm, what I'm estimating is the early 1800s in America. And the film brings together two main characters. The first one is called Cookie Figowitz, who's this, who's this sensitive character who's not really cut out for the harshness of the frontier. And it, it's interesting because he's been trained as a baker. And it's really sensitively played by an actor called John Magaro, who I've never seen before. He sort of reminds me of an early Casey Affleck, you know, a younger Casey Affleck type. And he befriends a Chinese worker um, called King Lu, who's played by Orion Lee. Um, they strike up this bond. And King Lu has got this entrepreneurial spirit. He's always looking for little schemes in which to make a little bit of money and a shortcut to wealth. And when he realizes he, t- he tastes one of uh, Cookie's biscuits that he cooks, which they've managed to forage the ingredients out of whatever they can get their hands on round, round and about. And uh, when he realizes that Cookie can actually cook, he's thinking of a way in which they can utilize that skill in order to try and make a, make a business out of it. And then... Um, they realise that the a, a local, I think it, it, it's too simplistic to say a sort of local businessman, but a, a kind of chief of the area or a, a, maybe a sort of businessman come government official who's played rather theatrically by Toby Jones. He brings a cow into the area, and this is the first cow of the title because there's been no other livestock. So obviously it's, it's part of this manifest destiny process that is, uh, that is going on in the early part of the... Uh, the process of colonization of the United States. And he's, he's brought this first cow simply because he likes milk in his tea. So these two guys, they hit up on this fantastic idea to uh, steal the milk of this cow and, and use it for these biscuits that they're, they're going to um, make and sell in the kind of local town. So that's the kind of setup. And then they, they make a killing on these biscuits, but then they start to get a little bit greedy and uh, you know you can you can inevitably tell that that something is going to uh, break up this little business that that's going on it's beautifully realized film it, it it's a sort of slow build up but then as soon as you get into the i mean the friendship between these two characters is the is the center point of the movie and it's not it's not easy to kind of characterize what this friendship is you know there's these wonderful scenes where they they move in together into this little hut and immediately fall into patterns of domestic codependency I would say so it's it's really a sort of interesting look at masculinity really and, and one of the themes I think of the festival that I've I've noticed is the representations of masculinity have been I mean may, maybe you could say that they're at the heart of all movies that you know some people would say that but I think that there's really been a, a divergence in sort of films that have been more nuanced around that and and other films that have been a lot more on the nose but this friendship is really at the heart of of the film and what this what it actually means and how they how they develop together and 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 come up with this little scheme but as with all kelly reichardt's movies i think there's a the film is placed within a wider context it's really underpinned by themes of of capitalism and and you know, there's so many books and films that are made about the situation we're in now and the, the, the kind of problems of late capitalism and, and how unequal things are. And this, this film takes it back to a sort of elemental level. It brings to the fore both the necessity of trade, but how the system is rigged from the start. 
And there's also a, a clear kind of critique of the colonial aspect of American culture. And it, it, it really reminds us that the, the formation of the United States is ostensibly a, col- a colonial occupation, really. Yeah, so an absolutely wonderful film. Really, really enjoyed it. And it's, you know, really funny as well and really just beautiful, well-crafted storytelling, I think. So definitely Neil is going to like that one. After that, we went straight to the other end of the spectrum with Philippe Garel's new movie, The Salt of Tears. And, um, you know, having watched Garel's movies, I think sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm often quite in the mood for what they offer, bracing myself for for an afternoon of kind of high-minded, bourgeois, existential French adultery. But it's interesting because this film sort of centres more around young characters. It follows this character of, of Luke, who is a good-looking but completely self-obsessed and obnoxious carpenter, believe it or not. And he engages in, the, in a series of sort of semi-involved relationships in the sense that the relationships are always kind of on his terms and the world that we see is, is through the lens of his vision, you know, very, very specifically. At the beginning, we, we see him chatting up this very fragile young woman called Jamila, who I think it's, it's implied has kind of got North African extraction, and there is this sort of uh, relationship that develops very quickly, but but then he, you know, he treats her very badly. Particularly, you know, it's a very obvious moment when when she kind of denies sex to him, and he he takes this particularly, he takes this badly, and 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 kind of leaves her behind, in a you know, in a very offhand way, and then goes back to his village where he works as a carpenter with his his father, and and uh, meets up with Genevieve, who is an old school friend, and there's a very, there's a very harsh cut when he first meets her, and then we cut to um, a very levacious scene of of him pleasuring her in the bath and it's one of the things about Garel's movies I mean they they do seem rather passe I have to say it's almost as if I mean here's a filmmaker who's 71 years of age and he's almost making films with with the sensibility of a 14 year old in the kind of late 60s and early 70s it's almost as if the, the worldview has has not changed at all in that time, and maybe I'm, I'm projecting something onto the film that wasn't the actual intention. Maybe the intention here was that this was going to be a real, almost a sort of expose or analysis of what would be called these days toxic masculinity. But it's shot in black and white, and it has this sort of very romanticized uh, score underneath it. And then I think I don't know if it's Garel himself. The, there's this sort of narrator who, who comes in, who's commenting. You know, it's not the it's not the lead character, Luke, who is the narrator. Still, we never get the sense that we're seeing the world outside of Luke's view. All, all of the women in the in the film are really two dimensional. I found they're they're just in the service of Luke's story. Even though Luke's story, I mean, there's no it's known certain terms that he is a real you know is a real obnoxious asshole for for want of a better word. And I'm not one for political correctness, but because of the form of the film, it has this glorification of the character. And there's this moment where he he meets this third woman who the voiceover suggests is, is his, the exact line was something like, at last Luke meets a woman who he feels is, is his equal. And it's like, equal to what? This, this guy is, you know, is not somebody who can put themselves on this, on this high pedestal. So it's a really contradictory film, I think, in terms of wanting to make a, a statement about 
the very problematic personality of this of this character but yet the form doesn't help with this at all and I think there were moments in the film when I think the critics were actually laughing at the film rather than with it and there was sort of quite a bit of really gratuitous lingering nudity which again the sort of relationship between form and content here seemed kind of contradictory to me in other hands this story could be told in a much more critically interesting way and I'm not one for diving into you know the first thing I see is not the political correctness of a movie but here this is far too in love with its subjects and actually I think the most interesting part of the film for me is the relationship with the father so that the father is this is this carpenter and he wants to he wants his son to go to these this uh, what is what is named as the top school the top kind of like cabinet making school in in Paris and this is something that it's where the father always wanted to go, but he never had the, the opportunity. So he's almost kind of living the son's life vicariously. And, the, and the, then the son is, is, is very much, I think, going through this process to please his father. And <laughs> I think, you know, thinking about Garel's relationship to his father or Garel's relationship to his son in this context is a really interesting thing. I mean, maybe you can't read too much into that, but there seems to be a sort of minefield, there's an unresolved a minefield of unresolved filial drama coming out on screen, perhaps, here. And then finally, I saw an interesting film, but one that didn't quite work for me, by Eliza Petkova. And it's a, a film in English which was translated as A Fish Swimming Upside Down. And it reminded me of a, of a drama that I saw last year, which I can't remember the title of, but a very similar thing in terms of a father and a son who have lost the, the mother in the family and then... A girlfriend kind of moves into the situation and at the start the son is rather jealous of this girlfriend moving into the into their relationship but then that the father is going off to work quite a lot and the son ends up in a relationship with the mother so this is sort of classic oedipal territory it's one of those films that i think is it's definitely got the first feature for um first feature feel about it and interestingly the director also edited it and it's not a fast paced film at all and it's set in ostensibly one location which is the house of the family and the father sort of comes and goes when he goes off to work whether it's for one day or or disappears off for days at a time and then comes back and they're obviously kind of quite middle class and well to do interestingly it sort of reminded me a little bit of the of the, the house in in parasite in terms of this sort of ultra modernism with the with the pool outside and they've got a maid working for them as well who becomes a kind of interesting character sort of towards the middle and end of the the movie playing a narrative and thematic intervening role i think yeah i think it was felt that scenes were sort of could have played out in order that the drama could develop a little bit more even though it like i say it wasn't a fast-paced film i found it slightly overcut and the the tension is then often kind of lost and then there's this moment of rupture in the film. So I think the film was trying to build tension in this, obviously, the sort of psychological territory between the, the main characters. And then there's this sort of moment of shock that, that takes place. And I think it, that, that was really meant to be a sucker punch to the audience. But, you know, it never really worked. And then, as I said, there's a, there's a kind of further development out of that. But I was always wondering what, what the director's uh, intention really was. So yeah, an interesting first day. I'm wondering whether I'll see anything as good as the Kelly Reichardt film, which is the first thing I've, I've seen. But yeah, a lot of interesting discussion around the Garel, particularly. I think 
it hasn't got the greatest of reviews. I'm, I'm going to try and catch the um, the press conference um, on Facebook because they're all being streamed on Facebook now. I think it'd be interesting to see what questions get asked at that. And then I think the, the Bulgarian film by the director was called Eliza Petkova. Yeah, and I think a kind of interesting experiment that didn't quite work with the final film. I mean, quite, kind of well-crafted, almost sort of reminded me of um, Nordic noir or that, that really stripped-back aesthetic. You know, static cameras, not a lot of camera movement. Okay, so th- this is my first little missive. I'm going to have to write a few no- notes on... Uh, a Christian Petzold film, and I've also seen a film called The Assistant this morning, so more to come on those two, and tonight it's Josephine Decker. So until next time, I'll catch you later. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. It's ain't a place for cows. No, it's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. So I'm back at the Berlin Alley with uh, the film critic Joseph Owen. Joseph, thanks so much for taking the time out. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So who are you writing for uh, while you're here? So I'm writing for the upcoming. That's usually who I cover the, the, the European festivals for. And um, I know we were chatting yesterday and you were saying you were moonlighting from your PhD a little bit. So, it, so is, it, is it proving worthwhile? Yeah, but, I mean, be careful. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, it's good. Obviously, we're on strike at the moment. So uh, uh, it's quite an extravagant way of, of you know, meeting the strike requirements by going all the way to Berlin. Yeah, the, 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 there's a tinge of guilt there for myself in terms of uh, you know, being here. But there we are. It was, it was arranged beforehand. So I'll yeah, let myself off. Yeah, that's okay. So, um, what have you seen that you've liked so far in the in the festival? Well, I saw Malmkrog. Okay. First off, Christy Poyu's new film. Um, and to say I liked it is perhaps <laughs> a slight mischaracterization, but it was very interesting. It was one of those films that is very suggestive when you're writing a piece about it. It's you know, there's so much to go on. Um, it's essentially set in late 19th century Russia. It's based on this uh, Russian philosophical text and it's all about the nature of war, Christianity, all these great yeah, Russian yeah. concerns that, you know, that Tolstoy and Dostoevsky you know, uh, write about in their, in their novels. Um, it's very long, three hours, 20 minutes. Oh, so you, you did the hard shift there. It was the hard <laughs> shift, yeah. Um, and it's the sort of thing I can understand most people think it's a portentous slog. Right, okay. And it's one of those films where you sort of start wondering because it's just conversation, basically. It's very text-based, the whole film. You kind of wonder if this could be a radio play or something. But obviously, Christopher yeah. Boyd is doing some interesting things. He's set in a big palatial home, and he's sort of bowing in strange ways, depicting characters' conversations in slightly sort of like off-key sort of way. It sort of brings into relief these very po-faced sort of philosophical discussions. Um, there's a lot to recommend it, which isn't the same as saying it's a good film. But did, it, did, did it actually work as a film, though, rather than just sort of a literary adaptation or a literary type of film? There is some interesting kind of directing choices in there. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there's some lovely sort of cinematography at the start with how, where, the, where the characters stand, and it's very staged, and it's very knowingly staged. And then later on, it's ma- mainly close-ups, while they have the, the discussion gets tense, and the closer and closer you get, the more proximity you get towards these characters. Um, there's a film well in there, like Discrete Charms of the bourgeoisie they're trying to have this conversation that they can never finish right. um, and so on it is well 
from what he said in interviews and here at the festival, Poi um, is being very sort of po-faced about it. Sure. In my mind, when I was watching it, maybe there's a hint of undercutting these kind of philosophical conversations. Because what you have mostly in the background is servants going around, not speaking much, but actually engaging with the world. They're actually touching things. They're laying out cutlery. They're actually physical bodies moving in the world. And that sort of, in my mind, was ironising these very sort of grandiose philosophical discussions by the kind of elite aristocrats. However, <laughs> by the sounds of it, Poi was being sort of very sort of straight-faced about it all. And that actually, this is about a discovery of truth. Right. That's interesting, because it's like, I mean, I know we've, they're, they're screening a lot of the press conferences on Facebook. And obviously, you know, with the press pass, you can go to the, uh, the press conferences. Do you, do you ever feel like, actually, when you hear a director talking about their film, it kind of unsettles what you really want to say as a film critic? Well, that's, that's definitely it. And I take a lot of liberties <laughs> when, I, when I write my things. But the thing is, is, is it's the age old. When it's a, if it's a text or a film, as soon as it's out there in the world, it's suggestive and it has its own interpretations. Um, and it draws out lots of different interpretations. Um, but I mean, I still pay, you know, pay some credence to what the director says. You can't, you know, just ignore yeah. it out of hand. However, uh, texts, as you know, films, as you know, they take on a sort of life of their own. Yeah. And you know, if they induce this kind of sort of strange comic, like, there's a lot of that film that I thought was really comic. And if not intentionally, then it was still was comic. So um, yeah, and, and taking on a three and a half hour <laughs> film, it's you know, if you're not going to do that at a festival, when are you going to do it? You I know, that is, and it's very much the point. It's a festival film, yes. and it is a film that we few of us here, you know, critics, we're having a chat about it, we're talking about the bits we enjoyed, but it has absolutely no life, I don't think, outside this festival. Oh, interesting. Um, so, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, flag up that was either good or worth seeing, or maybe terrible? I don't know. Uh, well, there, 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 there were... <laughs> There's a couple of things. So just a quick one. First Cow, I really enjoyed. I really liked. That's not going to be a surprise to anyone. Kelly yeah. Reichardt, it's obviously... You know. so everyone seems to have liked it, really. Yeah, and I, I, just, I, I think Kelly Reichardt is really doing something with the form. Mm. Like it's with images. Like, this is, you know, visual. If Poyu's film is text-based cinema, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Kelly yeah. Reichardt's film is a, a visual medium, yeah. and consciously so. So you just yeah. see so much with, you know... And even in the Academy ratio, it's like, you know, I've never seen a filmmaker who in the modern period who make you know in the contemporary period I should say who makes that academy ratio work cinematically as much as her exactly I mean you've got it and plenty of people are going to be discussing First Cow and all its you know sort of wonderful yeah. sort of points and you know it's brilliant acting in it lovely cameos from like Toby Jones and Ewan Bremner and it just and for me there's a very wonderful climactic scene what well, I feel a lot of the accumulation detail comes up to which is it just takes place in this small kind of house and they're, they're presenting this cake and well, I won't reveal too much, but it, it's, so, it's so comic and it yeah. sort of seems to bring into relief this kind of very slow, um, very kind of um, sort of... Um, sort of earthy, western-type exactly. stuff. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's all this accumulation of detail and then I just felt that was almost strangely like the climactic moment, this very sort of funny conversation that takes place between like the chief factor yeah. and... Um, the, the, the main characters who are deceiving him in yeah. some, some sort of cru crucial way. Um, and just in terms of bad films, um, I saw a film called The Salt of Tears. <laughs> I mentioned this this morning on my monologue. What? I, have you seen it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a naif when it comes to, <laughs> to many things. Um, so perhaps there is some level of profundity that I've not tapped into with this film. But I thought it was uh, like abominable, like truly awful. I don't like to be too dramatic about these things, but I just could not. I just... Yeah. It, 
pass me by in so many ways. I think there's a very simple argument to be made about the film, and that it's morally objectionable. Right, I think there's okay. that argument to be made, but I wouldn't want to make that argument because I don't want to detract from the slipshod I found the whole thing, how kind of intellectually sort of just barren yeah. and completely thoughtless and just careless. I mean, it's a sort of, it's, it's about this, um, this young guy, sort of this roguish figure, kind of, yeah, but he's yeah, yeah. bereft of personality, yeah. bereft of anything. Like, I mean, I don't need empathetic characters or likeable characters, but I need a character. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's true, and it's, I think, what, for me, just to like to pin down where the vacuum of the movie is, the one, the one thing I would say about that is that here, if, if this film is trying to be a critique of this character, the form just idolizes him, you know what I mean? With the black and white and, and no interrogation of what he's doing in the form itself. That's it. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I mean, to, to save this film, it must be one of the most deadpan, you know, sort of subtle satires you'd, yeah. ever, you'd ever come across. Like, for me, like you say, it's the, the melancholy piano. Like, it must be the greatest joke ever if, it is, yeah, if yeah, that yeah. is what's working there. Yeah. And maybe there is some sort of knowingness that sort of passed me by. But I just found just all the, every kind of narrative choice. I mean, there's two shock moments. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe if it is so knowing, they're not supposed to be shock moments. There's two moments that are telegraphed from about a mile away. They're not actually narratively urged, yeah, yeah, no, but they're yeah. so telegraphed. It's so true. And there's pauses where you're waiting for these characters to either appear or say something. And I remember that for the first one, one of, the, uh, one of his array of lovers who lets down the first one, um, there's a it goes port. back to her. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. yeah that's right. The, the, the Geneve or Genevieve, yeah, yeah. Or, when she reveals something very crucial to the yeah. film, there is this pause before she does it. And in my mind, I was just inserting loads of different phrases. I knew what it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. going, it's gonna, she's going to say, I've got gout, or yeah. I've got to fill on my tax returns, or I, like, I just, you just fill in. You, just, you can't believe how, how obvious, obvious it is. is. And how yeah, telegraph. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's remarkable. But maybe I saw that, that some people were giving it some sort of kind of modest and lukewarm review. I thought it yeah. would be across the board yeah. hated, but yeah. there's a lot of people are finding redeeming elements. So I'm more than happy to kind of revise that view, but in my mind, I thought it was gratuitous no, and awful yeah, yeah, and yeah. just stupid. Just and, and passe, you know, yeah. it's as if the last 40 years have never happened and we're still a 14-year-old boy in the, uh, you know, in the 60s in France, you know? Well, that's it, and I just, I... I clearly did not have the cinematic reference points <laughs> to maybe be able to see it as redeemable. I mean, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe it's working in some brilliant tradition and, it, you know, it's, it's a kind of collapsing tropes of it and stuff like that. But I'm so bored of films that are right. allegedly inverting tropes. In my mind, that was just indulging them. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. And you also saw The Assistant this morning. What did you yeah, make of that? that's right. Um, I was impressed by it. Um, I found it, I mean, it's, it's very uh, kind of formally precise. It sustains itself in a, in a monotone, but not to give that negative valence. And it, it's a very kind of persuasive, sort of very, I would like to say polemical, but it's not like a brash polemical no. statement, but it is still a statement. It's still an argument. Essentially what it is, uh, is about... Uh, a young woman called Jane, and we can guess that Jane, Jane Doe, is a sort of cipher for women who go into uh, corporate industries. This is particular, this is like an entertainment mogul yeah. uh, company, and uh, starts working as the new assistant there. The title um, and the kind of microaggressions you would probably call it that she faces throughout working day from misogynistic bosses, from colleagues who are undermining her. Um, emails that she receives that sort of 
build up her confidence and then dent it yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. all those sorts of things. So it's very much speaking to the, the political cultural moment. But, the, but the, the reason it worked, I think, is because it actually placed all of those in the, in the context of a believable scenario in an office with you. I've seen these things happen. Yeah. You know, and you were like, and then it comes up to that great scene in the middle where she goes to see HR. Yes. And that turns almost into a kind of like mammoth play where mm. you see one half of her side of the conversation and the, the guy who's this HR officer like totally reverses all of her, yeah. all of her feelings about her situation. Exactly. And what's wonderful about that scene as well is he sort of very smartly, as probably the best HRs do, you know, for these companies, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he sort of repeats what she said, yeah. essentially. Yeah. But in such, in such in yeah, such a yeah. way and yeah, and, and in such a tone with such such little tweaks that it then becomes such an it seems so ludicrous that she would have ever made a complaint. Um, like you're saying, yeah, I mean like I was saying earlier, I slightly wary reading the synopsis you kind of think is it going to be pointed is it going to be a bit crude I haven't seen Bombshell for example but no, I wonder no, how no, that no. measures up yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps this is slightly less very different yeah exactly time, yeah. this is a less lurid sort of interpretation of events um, yeah I, I, I found it utterly persuasive and it, you're right about how r- realistic these uh, the, the mm. kind of situations in the office the sort of the kind of degradations that take place towards yeah. Jane Doe or Jane in this yeah. office um, but I also found it like slightly uncanny as well. Yeah, there is yeah, a strangeness yeah. to it, and that's what I think is so wonderful about the film and why it is, yeah, yeah, for example, yeah. an art object yeah, or yeah, yeah. Not, rather than just a document, is that there is something very strange and uncanny. It's, mm. The environments are very sterile. Like, I guess there's, a, there's perhaps an expectation that if you work in TV and film, you're, it's a very exciting kind of kinetic industry. And instead, it's very sedentary, very sterile. The, the offices look kind of really depressing, like any other kind of office. Yeah. And that whole tone and environment it's one it really love in a lovely way frames all these kind of inter- all these little interactions and there's such lo- lovely eye for small details as well in the film I found there's a bit she has a moment to herself just at the end of the day and she has that muffin that she eats and I thought it was wonderful the crumbs sort crumbs of crumbs everywhere yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. just like that's her moment yeah that's where she can decompress and relax and even that feels she's that just looking at the window and then she knows there's some shit going on that's there, it, you know? exactly yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. just this so that what remains is this pervasive kind of, I guess, pa- abuse of power. Yeah. That's just, even when she's clocked off for the day, it, 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 yeah. it stays. And that, for me, is a very persuasive kind of representation of how these sorts of abuses occur. Brilliant. Joseph, thanks so much for your time. Oh, it's lovely. It's been a pleasure. So it's day three of the uh, Berlin Film Festival, um, but I'm going to be talking ostensibly about films I've seen yesterday with uh, Savina Petkova, who is a film critic here this week. Savina, how are you doing? I'm doing brilliantly, and the festival has been tiring in the best possible way so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're part of the, this Berlinale Talents program, so um, you're doing quite a lot of writing in between watching the films and also the social life and everything that goes alongside it. So how's that been for you? Uh, Berlinale Talents is one of the best experiences that I've ever had and I would recommend it to anyone that's getting into film criticism to just try and um, apply. And they take such good care of you. I have wonderful mentors that are really demanding, as I said, in the best possible way. So I have been working on my coverage or thinking about it nonstop. So this would be a nice exercise for me to kind of jot down some thoughts that I have for my final assignments, which are due tomorrow and the day after. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's so many um, film critics around, obviously, from all kinds of different publications and sort of being in that space where everybody is, you know, is writing about the same films ostensibly. What's the difficulty in, in coming up with your own angle? Do you feel like that, that that's always a hard thing to do or... or do you always think that oh, I've, I've actually got my own take on, on whatever I'm seeing, even though everybody's sort of seeing the same things at the same time? It's been a really long journey for me to actually come to terms with the fact that I have a voice and I should use it. <laughs> and um, yeah, my insecurities are kicking in, especially with me not, not being a native speaker and everything. But I do feel like I look, if you look closely enough and you're attentive enough, films will speak and speak to your depths so you will unearth something yeah. that's unique and yours. Yeah. Um, this is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And my first work was on uh, Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. And going into this film, I knew that I hadn't seen any Kelly Reichardt before. So I knew this was going to be quite difficult for me to approach this film without the context of um, her previous films or her work at all. But I feel like this made me um, appreciate the smallest details and approach it from a completely different angle that I feel like my review is going to stand out. Yeah, I know. It's, it's an interesting one going into somebody like Kelly Reichardt, who I think a, a lot of people will come with a sort of expectation of a particular kind of style, so that almost having that auteur underpinning. But, you know, if you're coming from it completely fresh eyes, it almost gives you perhaps a different kind of advantage over that. So what did you make of the film anyway? So I feel like you win some and lose some, obviously, because I do not have the ready material in my head for comparison but that also opens up other avenues um, sure. it was one of the most tactile synesthetic films that I've seen and it makes me feel warm inside even though it's an academy ratio very quickly you're kind of immersed into the world of the movie because she has this sort of sensuality with the representations and they, they don't feel like representations like I was saying yesterday when I was sort of talking about it you know you can almost sort of immerse yourself in the mud and the you know the, the sort of frontier lifestyle that these two main characters in the film and, and then when the story kicks in it, it marries that that haptic sensuality as you call it with actual story that then clips along yeah 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 it's a lovely engaging story um, and the way that it's shot is just I, I cannot wrap my head around it mm. um, apparently um, I mean I can congratulate both the cinematographer and the, the composer and the, the sound design of the film is so immersive mm. that he, he, I, I could taste the mushrooms <laughs> he was picking it was incredible I've been putting on online actually that this festival seems to be obsessed with mushrooms because there's mushrooms in jo Josephine Decker film yeah yeah and there's mushrooms in the um, a fish swimming upside down that we were we, we, we saw it together and, and there was mushrooms in that it's like there's mushroom everywhere I don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> apparently zero mushrooms yeah, I guess obviously so yeah Neil, yeah. Was, tell, Neil was saying that, that you know it's all a Paul Thomas Anderson influence but maybe I think mushrooms <laughs> have been used in the past before <laughs> I'm guessing so, so. So we both watched the uh, Christian Petzold film. Yes. And that was one that I kind of came out of and I was thinking, I'm really not sure what I'd make of that because there was a lot in it that I really enjoyed. But then I'm not sure whether for me it worked as well as his previous work that I've... Uh, Did you find it confusing? I found it quite confusing, right. but I liked it. Mm. But I liked how confusing yeah. I found it. It was almost like a fable, you know, it's almost back to mythology and there was almost sort of the idea of the sirens... But the way that it was married up to the, the realist story, you know, the guy was a diver and then he's having these sort of imaginary fantasies about this woman who he is in love with in real life. But then, you know, something happens and he, it moves into kind of either psychological, almost sort of surrealistic territory without 
really any coherent transition between them. You have to kind of figure that out for yourself. Yeah, I think. but th this is what Petzl does to yeah. us, right? Makes makes our brains work. Um, Fry. <laughs> exactly. Um, to uh, map out this transition that is obviously non-existent. I really enjoyed um, the, the shifts between, as you said, real and surreal abstract and very very concrete material yeah. materials like the, the figurine of the diver that yeah, yeah, he was right. and the actual person he was diving there and, and the idea of what it means to be underwater yeah. um, and I'm, also what about the the urban planning in Berlin yeah, yeah, I thought that, that was great. incredible yeah, to yeah, have yeah. this film in competition while we're in Berlin and to learn so much more about the history of Berlin and the layer the layering of it as a, as a cityscape to go back to the history of mm. Berlin. Um, yeah, it's a real oddity. But I was, I was trying to think, oh, can I corner a, a film critic from Berlin who will explain or you know tell me about whether how this works for them as being you know someone who comes from here? It's incredible. The more I think about it, the more I appreciate the, these repetitions, the yeah. repetitions of the facts as well, the repetitions of the motions, of the gestures, of their words towards each other. I felt like there was. Um, and replaying memories in their minds. All the repetitions were happening when the two protagonists were not together. Mm. I felt like this is a, the, a key thing for me for the film, that life is full of repetitions, but when you are with your person, it feels brand new. And yeah. the only repetitions you can get are either when you're replaying it in your mind, when you're not together anymore, mm. or before you ever meet them, you feel like everything is patterned. And yeah, patterns are scattered all over. Yeah. But when that person appears, everything is unique and, and singular. Yeah, it's it, it do, a little bit similar to uh, transit in that sense, but more mythological and less political, I suppose, yes. in that regard. Yes, and it was like, I mean, there was part of me that thought though that, that for me was I just felt some of the like symbolism was like on the nose a little bit. You know, was with the it? cracking and the. I mean, that that was the, that would be the only thing that I was like, mm, okay, is this just. You know, giving me these really obvious symbolic kind of moments I, and I stuff. I found it quite subtle. Why? Why okay. would you say that? No, no. Well, I'm, that, that, that's when I was when I was watching it. I was just kind of like, yeah, kind of that is symbolising this particular motion, uh, mo moment, or emotional, you know, register at the time. And 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 again, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's 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 just one of those things where you're thinking to yourself, am I am I understanding the the whole you know coherence of this movie, or are these things actually working at all in the way that I think they are. Mm. But I mean, you have to work as an audience member, I suppose, in that regard. Yeah, because for me personally, it was quite smooth the way that some transitions were denied and mm. others were facilitated. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe it was a bit random at points, mm. but in the amalgamation of it all, I feel like it worked so well on me. And now one day after seeing it, yeah. it's, um, it's grown on me so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, I was quite surprised when pleasantly surprised obviously when I found out this film is going to play in competition because I had just mm. came across it randomly when it was in post-production because I'm working on my dissertation and my first chapter is about mythological creatures transformations and female figures and that so I already had it written down be like watch out for Undine yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, then here I am so I'm going to be thinking a lot about this film during the course of the next few years great great so um was there anything else that particularly either stood out that you wanted to mention or anything that didn't stand out like you really hated that I you think, actually wanted I, to mention? I think we need to talk about the Grell film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny because I talked to Joe about this yesterday. Oh, did you? No, just a little bit. But I mean, I think the one thing you mentioned 
in the competition there. I think the one thing that you you said afterwards was how how is this film in in the competition? And yes. I don't know. I mean, wh- why do you think that that's a, a sort of an important thing to to highlight? You know. I mean, obviously, I'm not the social police or the the Berlin Film Festival police, and I am quite happy with with the selection that this year is made under the new patronage, the the, the shared directorship. Obviously, um, it's including a lot of different voices, and it's fifty fifty parity, amazing. Mm. Um, but I don't think such directorial laziness should be excused and dismissed so easily just because it's Philip Garel. Um, I do like a lot of his previous films. I do feel like he's also too prolific and he keeps returning to the same unresolved traumas over and over and over and over again. And I feel like if the therapy is not working, then you need to try another approach. Yeah, um, yeah I just found it lazy filmmaking and yeah. for his own standards. So I'm judging him by his own standards of his other films. Just failing. Mm. In a sense, the film, all the films that are here are not badly made you know what I mean but it's just the you know there's sometimes films that get that get made and you think what was whoever made it actually thinking about here and I was really trying to give it the benefit of the doubt in terms of this is this is a film that's actually trying to sort of deconstruct this, this the masculinity of the main character but it, it, it just so failed on every level because it was so in love with its subject and the formal Representation and the way that it was looking at women exactly. was the view of the of the the main character. So it was almost doing what the main character was doing, yeah. but in a, you know through the cinematic form. And when the film is not bold enough to actually question itself in such a way, you cannot help but identify and just see everything as a single layered yeah. uh, representation. I was also thinking that competition here is usually defined by the by its contemporality and. Contemporaneity? So yeah, these films have something to say about our present. And they say it in a very particular way. So Philip Garel made a film that is set in the present. It's shot in black and white, Mm. which we have no clue why. Why that is. And this really sentimental, plinky-plonky score. Yes, which feels very retrograde. And yeah, the fact that the, the signature... A hug over the shoulder shot um, or a cupping of the hands while they kiss. All these signature Garel moves are present. And I feel like, yeah, he's he's doing what he's always done, try, but trying to approach today's love, mm. 20-something people of my generation. Yeah, 2020, love. it's just, yeah. Exactly, it's just not, not working because you're treating pres- present day with tools of the past and you want to be commenting on the present at the same time how yeah. does that even work it's yeah. not bold enough to be subversive yeah okay so um anything else that you that you really liked or you think that this is uh, worth people seeing or something that impressed you maybe yes the assistant was a great film um i have been eyeing it since it premiered at sundance and i think we both really mm. liked it yeah. even though it was early morning and we were not prepared for this film yeah um I love the tension of it, and, and it was now that's brilliant filmmaking, and I commend Kitty Green for for this film. It was one of those films that I did, honestly didn't know what it was going to be about, and then when it started up, it was almost sort of like, oh, this is just something that's going to cover this almost a sort of alienated representation of the modern working life, but it it, it kind of really draws you into the subtleties of these little situations and microaggressions that this you know female assistant was was kind of enduring and and also the fact that it was 
it didn't give this away really easily, but it was set in a kind of like film production office. Yeah, which I, was, I really liked how reluctant it was yeah. to give us that away. Because so at one minute I thought it was like, this is an escort agency or something. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yes. it was kind of like, this thing, or, or like what making, does that even say yeah, about exactly. this? I know, it's, or, or even kind of like, this is, this is like made for pornographic movies. Like it's a really professionalized sort of environment for that. Exactly. But yeah, some of the little vignettes, particularly the one scene at the heart of it, this sort of scene where she goes to visit this, you know, really un... Well, he, he plays at being sympathetic HR character and then, you know, completely turns it around on her. Yeah, to be able to construct such a scene in, in such minimal tone, with minimal dialogue, actually, because there was not real dialogue, there were way more silences and pauses and hesitation in this film, that... It turns the whole structure upside down mm. of, of what we are expecting to see. And at one point, I, I was thinking, is this a film about Weinstein? <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. what, what would you think? Yeah. Um, just because of, of its ambiguity. But it's it's a great film that it cap- captures the struggles that we're facing, we have been facing for a while, and that we're trying to change uh, after the Me Too movement mm. started. Brilliant, Savina. I know you've got to go right now, so thanks very much for taking the time out to speak to me. Thank you, Dario. It's always a pleasure. Welcome. Have a seat. Whatever's going on, you can tell me. That's what I'm here for. You're relatively new to the company. I mean, I've been working here for nearly two months. And you're under a lot of stress. Entry-level jobs in this industry are tough, right? Long hours? First one in, last one out. Night. You're smart, you have to be smart. It's a tough job, but I can see that you've got what it takes. I want those new pages before I get on a plane. He promised the first thing. Where are we at? 200K and two points. Maybe you can put in a good word for you. No, he'll hire externally. Listen, his schedule has shifted. Does 7 p.m. work? Still at the hotel or? Yes. What? This is turkey, I said chicken. There's a girl waiting. Oh, her. She's been here before, a few times. What is it? The wife. Say he's in an important meeting. No, say he's in a screening. Where is he? What did you say to him? What did you say? They told me you were smart. I overreacted. It was not my place to question your decision. I will not let you down again. You know you can always come to us, right? Come to us first, okay? The last two checks don't have a name or anything, just a dollar amount. Uh, ignore it. Okay, and will he know what it's for? Yep, he'll know. I wouldn't sit there. Never sit on the couch. (laughs) Here and here, initial here, sign there. Do I need a lawyer or something? Do you have a lawyer? So I'm talking now with the film critic Alex Billington, who's very kindly given up a little bit of time. How are you doing, Alex? Good, good. Very tired, but good. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be a running theme now at the moment. We're coming yeah. to that period where everybody's seen a lot of films. Yeah. So um, and it was really great that you responded to my tweet, sure. because obviously you're a critic who's based here in Berlin. Yeah. So do you write for a, a magazine here, or is it on, online? Yeah, um, online. Is, I know, run a website run? called firstshowing.net. Right. Um, I've been doing it for a long time, and I've been in Berlin for almost four years now. Right. And you, um, you, you like it? I mean, it's one of my favorite cities. It is. So I'm I a love bit jealous. It here. Yeah. I love it here. Actually, part of the reason I came here is because of Berlin Alley. Okay. I'd been coming for years before here, and there was just this vibe to yeah, the yeah, city yeah, that yeah. attracted me to it, and okay. I just felt at home here in right. a way that um, it is an international city, a bit like New York, but also just just the, the, the feeling of comfort you have with 
the, the openness of the people and right. also the, the um, casualness of the city. <laughs> there's yeah. no, unlike New York City, there's no right. pressure in any sure. sense. Is that where you're from school. originally? Uh, no, I'm from Colorado originally. Okay. Um, but cool. I lived in New York before I moved. So we've been asking all of the film critics we've been talking to about highlights, maybe even lowlights. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that in the, the time you've been here so far has really sort of struck you as interesting or very good or whatever it might be? Yeah, actually, one of my favorites is Mogul Mowgli. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Yeah, um, yeah, I saw that on the program. I think a critic we spoke to before actually mentioned that, so yeah. that seems to have gone down yeah, well. Yeah, it's from Riz Ahmed is the star, right. uh, and it's made by a Pakistani filmmaker. Okay. And they kind of collaborate on what is a very British-Pakistani story, in that um, he plays this rapper from England, a, a British-Pakistani rapper, who's about to break out big, and he gets struck with an, an autoimmune disease. When he goes home, he figures this out, and suddenly he can't even walk, he can't leave the hospital. And uh, it's this really really introspective, contemplative piece about how he must struggle with not only dealing with his identity and his history, which he had kind of thrown away, right. but also what it means to be, as an artist, on the verge of breaking out, and then suddenly dealing with this fact that you may not ever have, you may not ever walk again, for right. that matter, but you're also, you, like, he, the whole movie, for half of it at least, he's struggling with even like, accepting it. He's just like, oh, I can just walk up and go do my concerts this weekend, and they're right. like, no, you, you literally can't even walk down the hall right wow. now. Okay. Um, and I found it just so moving sure. and I, it was one of these, the, it's a great experience because it was one of these films I had no idea existed until the day before I went to see it. I went to see it and was just completely taken by it. Right. Um, so is it like a, it. a straight drama sort of style, stylistically or is it, um, I mean you said it was in, introspective. Because there's this sort of dream sequence and also right. flashbacky part of it where he, he kind of goes back to his youth. Right. Which is what he's trying to deal with, um, and it's part of his like while he's in the hospital, what he thinks about. Uh, it, it, it's not comedic. There is some good, you know, levity in it in a couple scenes, but it's right. more like meditative. And uh, I think it it could be hurt by the fact that it's using these flashbacks, but I actually think it enhances it in a good way. It right. brings another level of depth to it. It's not just a straightforward presentation of this guy. He, there is this his identity crisis is rooted in his upbringing that he needs to go back and think about and deal with, which right. I like so much seeing in this, and it's handled so well. Is it a UK production? I think it might be, a, yeah, UK co-production. Co-production, maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. it's one of these, I like, multi-country yeah. kind of things. Again, it's not one that I've uh, heard too much about, but always, you know, Riz Ahmed is, is uh, you know, a name, yeah. really, when yeah. it comes to these kinds of uh, productions. I think he's the one who attracted me to it, and I'm so glad I went to see Great. it, because that's, this is my favorite thing at Berlin, all these discoveries yeah, something yeah, I had yeah. no idea about. Uh, and, and I don't want to say I was wasn't expecting much from it, but you know, sure. you know, you just don't know what you're going to get with some of these yeah, films, or, or they yeah, could yeah. be totally crazy and experimental in a way that doesn't work. But this one just really got me, and I'm 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 hoping more people take a, a chance to even see it because, like you're saying, not a lot of people have heard about it, and yeah. I want people to hear about it. And, and oh, I'll definitely look have a look it. at that for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, definitely. One of the reasons that I, I really wanted to talk to you is about the the Christian Petzold film mm -hmm. Dine, which is. Obviously based in Berlin, set in Berlin, yeah. and actually parts of the film are set around the, the one of the central characters is a, is a sort of urban planner and, yeah, and yeah, takes these yeah, people yeah. around the history and of the the architecture of the city. And I just wondered, yeah. what did you think of the film and how did those? What, does anything interesting strike you about the way that that was that was done? Yeah, and I was looking forward to it because I have a love a love affair with Berlin in a way that I really wanted to see what he was capturing, what he was showing. I really like the film. It's not my favorite Petzl film. I don't want to say this as a criticism, but it's a really sweet little love story. You know, there's not much to it. But the more I think about the Berlin aspect, and that's what I was curious, like what is it? He has so many of these scenes where she's talking about it. I was curious, and this is probably what you're curious about too. Yeah. I think the more I thought about it is that 
in my experience in the last few years here, there's been this growing, and I don't like it, but it's part of it, but growing anti-immigration, anti-foreigners feel right. in Berlin. And also this gentrification that the Berliners hate. Kreuzberg especially, they are so against it. There was an anti-Google campaign last year here where they just wouldn't let Google move in at all. And what I think he was trying to tell with a few of these scenes was almost this idea of you need to let things go from the past and move on. Both with Undina, the character Current and what she's yeah, going through, yeah. but also with Berlin. Like, the, the commentary she has in her speech about, you know, uh, replacing the old buildings and upgrading what the East Germans had built before yeah. and turning it into something new, it was this, tr seemed to be this clash of old versus new, yeah. and whether they could accept the new and whether they could move on to accept that this is what the city was. And the, the specific building she references, the facade of it, whether or not the general public would yeah. accept that or not. Yeah. And I thought that was a fascinating uh, sort of, I think, Petzl's attempt to say, you need to accept that it's different. You need to accept that we are multicultural now and it isn't the Berlin of past and it's something new and it will be constantly right. changing. I think you're right when, when you get into discourses about the ways in which cities develop over time yeah. and whenever you talk to somebody or whether, whenever the, you know, the, the, the discourse of gentrification comes up, it's always kind of in a negative, you know, when things yeah, are changing, yeah. it's always somehow seen as, yeah. well, this is going to be bad for the, the historic sense of, yeah. of what a city's actual identity is. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe sort of uh, Petzl was, was trying to tap into that, but interesting, you know, coming from the UK and all the issues <laughs> we've got here, there course, right now. So have you have you seen anything anything else that you wanted to uh, you might well, want to I mention? Only because I just got out of it and I was totally uh, entranced by it was this. Um, it's an experimental sort of film called Last and First Man. It's uh, made by Johan Johansson, the, the Icelandic composer who yeah. passed away two years ago. It is his quote first and final film, um, and it's something he made originally as an audiovisual piece for his concerts, and they kind of put it together as this seventy minute package, and it's it's basically just a combination of three things: one, his his music. Uh, to this this beautiful black and white grainy cinematography of various structures and Tilda Swinton's narration from uh, the book and these three just work so beautifully wow. I, I was writing my notes on the way back here and I, I one of the notes I put is that I've just lost all sense of time right. watching this it just pulled me into it and, and I, I think that was his goal was right. that combination of all three of these things just making you feel lost in this film and I, I, I live for these kind of experiences at a festival mm. where I completely forget that I'm at a festival mm. and I'm just like into the screen and having that experience. To me that's the glorious part about cinema at a festival is that you're actually in venues where you get to get lost in a screen. And, you're, and I know every cinema has that but festivals especially make yeah. that a, a special experience to yeah. have. Yeah it, it sounds like that this it's almost kind of like sounds like an ode to sort of pure cinema where, the, where sound <laughs> yeah. and visuals are kind of in tandem in yeah. a way that isn't wedded to things like narrative yeah. or literature. So how do you deal with generally on your website the kinds of films that you're gonna review I mean do you do you generally stick to stuff that's slightly more obscure or do you feel like oh, you know you do have to follow some of the competition films I do have to do a bit of everything but I my guideline actually is to write about whatever film I feel the strongest I have something to say about okay. it could be negative or it could be mixed review generally that's positive and I know it's a little bit I know some film critics love to be critical. I love to just have some thoughts. If I see a film that I like, but I don't have a lot to say, I don't know what to write about yeah. it. You know? And I, I, on the other hand, if I see a film and I have so much to say about it, I, and it just flows out of me, that's when I really just have to sit down and write about it. Yeah. And my favorite is when it is an obscure film, because yeah, yeah. then I can bring attention to it 
Like the Mogul Mogul review I wrote, it's just like, you know what, I gotta talk about this. Something about it, I don't care if people have never heard of it, now is my chance to introduce it to people. That's really different to, I think, what the pressure of the boundaries that a lot of the yeah. critics here are yeah. under. Because, you know, I'm talking to people who are, a lot of them out here on their own dime and are, and are writing 500 word review yeah. after 500 yeah. review about just the competition films. And yeah. sensibly, a lot of them, you know, the, I don't want to say there's a critical consensus, but it's very hard to carve out yeah. a you know, your own niche sort of thoughts yeah, on a film yeah. in that way, you know? I'm lucky because I run my own site and I can make that decision, but right. I, I know a lot of my friends and colleagues are, I don't want to say stuck in that kind of position, but struggling with that. I know, I, the one of the things that, when I used to bring one of my writers to Sundance, I would love, I, I always gave him the freedom to do what he wanted and to see what he wanted. What I hate for critics, a lot of my colleagues, is when they're told they have to see these films. Right. Because even if you don't end up writing about them, I think what's the best thing is to explore what interests you at a festival. Right. And to go with whatever your gut tells you or whatever your mind suddenly is interested in. You know, allow yourself that freedom to just explore. Like you told me before, you walked into a film you had no idea yeah, you were yeah, about yeah. to see an yeah, hour yeah. before and it's like, that's the freedom you need at these festivals. You never know what you're going to discover, sure, and that's sure. exciting. I, I think until you've done a few days at a festival, I mem remember the first time I came here, and just like the idea of kind of bombing from cinema to cinema, <laughs> and you don't know what's going yeah. next is, is really great. So um, thanks for taking this little pit stop. Are you off sure. to see anything else this evening? Yeah, there's this German film Curveball. Oh, right, I, I yeah, I saw that. I haven't got time to see yeah, it tonight, but yeah, I fancy it. I really fancy it. I kind it. of am... The description sounds interesting. I, I'm like, I hope it's good. I, yeah, it's yeah. another one where, I, this is what you're saying about the festival experience. I really don't know much about it. I've right. read the description, but I don't know what it's going to be. And I'm curious to see. Right. <laughs> I, ha I have to take that risk. I think I'm reaching a point where I want to take a few hours off and do some writing tomorrow. Yeah. But today I'm like, oh, I'll go check it out right. and see it. Thanks so much, Alex. What's the name of the website again? Firstshowing.net. Fantastic. And uh, enjoy the rest of the festival. Thanks, you too. Er will hier bleiben. Das ganze Wochenende. Christoph wartet auf Undine. Undine? Ist mir runtergefallen. Das Bein ist abgebrochen, aber ich habe es wieder geklebt. I'm talking with the film critic Serena Scateni. So, Serena, thanks so much for taking the time out to talk to us. No, fine, thank you for just inviting me. I'm excited to be here talking with you. I saw your, first saw your writing on that piece you did for Vague Visages on Parasite, and I just, you know, really loved your writing. And, uh, and then I saw that you were on the Cine Europa podcast, so I thought it'd be great to, to have a chat to you. So, you were saying before that this is the, your second time here at the Yeah, Festival? my second time here. Like, uh, my very first time was like a couple of years ago, and it was such an amazing experience, actually, as I was saying it was my very first film festival ever so a right. great a great experience actually and yeah. then I got hooked and so I did other festivals and I'm here for the second time yeah so what have you what have you been seeing is there anything that you've uh, particularly stood out for you 
this uh, this week? So oh far? yes, so uh, I've arrived on Sunday morning, and the first film I watched was like Undine by uh, Christian okay. Petzold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like that one. Maybe not my favorite out of his films, but a very interesting one. Maybe if you're based in Berlin, or you know a lot more about you know Berlin topography, could resonate with you more. Yeah. But anyway, such an interesting film. Yeah. And uh, and this morning, the Hong San Suu new yeah, film. Yeah, I mean I know I you're into really, um, Asian yeah, cinema, so. I was really really excited about that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it didn't disappoint it to be honest. It was a uh, very charming and funny at the same time sure. and uh, just yeah just a great one so I yeah. recommend everyone to uh, yeah. catch so up on that one me and Neil were talking about it before and we haven't seen a lot of Hong Sang Soo movies mm. um, so I mean where does this fit in his kind of style is it something that you know with the, those sort of static camera and then those soft zooms Zoom is that yeah yeah out. is the, that his, his thing his, his, yeah it's his like his aesthetics to be honest so right. uh, majority of his films are like where they zoom in zoom out some, some pans out and yeah. And, yeah. uh, static, very a very minimalistic approach to to, to like filmmaking, sure. and uh, so there was like is is. Signature in a way. He seems to be again a much more of a, a, a more, I don't want to say a more subtle filmmaker, but a different filmmaker to to Bong Joon Ho. Are they, are they contemporaries or are they, are they seen in the kind of like, are they talked about in a sort of similar light or compared, would you say? Oh, I don't think so. They're very, very different. I mean, I think Hong San Su is like older than Bong Joon Ho. Right. And uh, they're, they're very different. I mean, I think like uh, Hong San Su films are like more contemplative, while Bong Joon Ho are like very uh, kind of action films. Sure. And they're like kind of a mixing genre at the same time, or it sure. seems like everyone says that. And uh, while the other ones are like more trying to uh, analyze everyday life, sure. or like you know, chatting in a coffee shop, or drinking some soju, and then like exploring life and mm. chatting with other people, flirting with other people. So it's more, it's a different, it's a different like concept of like cinema yeah. in the end. Yeah. And do you think Berlin this year has got a good selection of uh, Asian cinema? I mean, have you seen many other um, You know, films? but the problem is, I mean, I was like in Rotterdam uh, a month ago, so uh, Rotterdam is really focused on East Asian stuff. So okay. uh, basically there, every day, there were like three, three or maybe or four, four yeah, yeah, yeah. films. So, you know, in comparison, I mean, Berlin is it's more difficult to have like East yeah, Asian yeah, yeah. stuff. But as for now, I was like the Hong San Suu one. I'm really excited for the Time uh, uh, Young on yes. um, Thursday morning, yeah, yeah, just yeah. before my flight. Yeah. And uh, But then apart from that, uh, there's not many, no. to be honest. Yeah, I was yeah the new Jia Zhang's documentary, but then, yeah, not many more. I yeah. mean, some, some like minor, let's say minor, yeah. uh, Japanese documentaries or like feature films. Not really sure. exciting in terms no, of No, no, like, I mean, it's not, it, I don't think it's been a, a particularly big for. I mean, there's the two big names, I think, yes, you know, as you said, and, and Neil's going to see Simon Ling Ling later on, so we might mm-hmm. talk about that. So, um, yeah, anything else that you've uh, that you've seen that you uh, that you uh, wanted to, or anything you didn't like ooh. or did like, or uh... um, I've seen Shirley. Okay, what well, did you make of that? We haven't talked about Decker. that yet. I really liked that actually. Okay. Yeah, one with this one as well, and um, I only watched Madeline's Madeline by yeah. the same filmmaker, same and um, but yeah, I thought that this one was really. You know, like in terms of like her aesthetics and like the uh, camera movements, quite shaking sometimes. They were really, really apt to just, you know, describing the uh, mental struggle of the uh, the title character. And uh, I was I mean, really into that, actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a biopic of a, uh, an American writer, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's trying, it's trying to do something with the... 
the biopic form because it, that can be very kind of stayed you know where somebody yeah no it's totally but I thought like it played out really well mm. I mean it wasn't stale at all and the, uh, it was trying to you know strip the, uh, the, the style of a sure, biopic sure. from the biopic itself yeah, 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 yeah. so uh, it was a really nice experiment actually I think it worked I've already recommended like to one of sure. my friends be like you need to be really excited <laughs> about this one so just please just go to the, uh, the cinema yeah, when it's out and I mean, just it, enjoy I, that one has to settle with me a little bit because I found whereas with Madeline's Madeline mm. I thought that the handheld camera which is basically what she uses yeah, yeah, as yeah. a signature I thought it really got under the into the worldview of the of the girl in Madeline's yeah. Madeline, Madeline whereas in this I felt it was more kind of imposed on the film from the mm. outside which is a you know it's a, it felt to me like like she she was definitely trying to s suggest you know here is my directorial mm. you know imprint know, yeah, on this movie I, a little I, bit I, I you know see what, what I mean? mean I know what you mean but yeah yeah I don't know uh, I didn't feel like she was imposing something on me but yeah, 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 yeah. I, I yeah I can see where this comes from to be honest so uh, I don't know maybe I need to just you know uh, have the film sedimenting like in, in yeah, me yeah, yeah, yeah. be more and masturbating and then I can just be uh, sure. be back on it but yeah and the acting was great though I mean Stuhlberg and Elizabeth Moss was, 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 was very amazing. good amazing there was like a couple of massive like acting stunts in there just great mm. great and when, when you when you go to the, the festivals do you tend to try to look at the competition films or do you go in sometimes not knowing what the film is about at all because uh, yeah, I, I sometimes that's usually, I love doing that, that. that's usually my, my, way, my way of doing stuff actually uh, pretty much I tend not to just look up on the uh, synopsis or the plot before so uh, I'm basically uh, going to the screening room blindfolded right. and I really don't know what to expect from a film and that what happens today what happened today with like um, never really sometimes always oh yeah I've just seen that myself yes and, uh, <laughs> what did you make of that yeah you know the, uh, the punch in the gut when a real the what, what the title means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, oh my god. Oh, that's very clever. And uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, incredibly clever and uh, such a great film. Yeah. Another great film. I was really, really intrigued, and I'm sure. really happy that from another female filmmaker. Yeah. So this one was Eliza Hitman was the yes. was the filmmaker, and, um, and you know it was about a, a young girl who was in a small American town mm -hmm. and you find out that she's pregnant and she's wanting to get an abortion and she, yeah. she ends up in the clinic mm -hmm. of, of her local and yeah. there's, the, there's a sort of illusion that they've lied to her about how long yeah, there, there is. Yeah, at first I was really yeah, like, yeah. oh it's great, like, yeah, they definitely, everything yeah, yeah. work and then no. when and she put the VHS into yeah, the yeah, TV, yeah, I was right. like, no, oh, no, no, this is terrible. No, 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 yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. shouldn't so, happen. Yeah, so she ends up having to go to New York and yes. it sort of follows that story. And it's all about the kind of obstacles, really, I think, that are in yeah. the way for, for women, in, you know, particularly in America, I think, mm -hmm. of being able to just have access to this procedure. So that's part of it. And then yeah. also there's, there's definitely, you know, a, a, a very clear comment on, on men and masculinity and, and the way and that the, they, uh, they... You they, know, they, women they, you are know, like objectified exactly. and like exploited by, uh, by men, yeah, even yeah. though like in simple acts, like yeah. in the, uh, when they work like in the supermarket. But with small details, but it was like, oh, yeah. shivers than my spine. Yeah, yeah, it was mine. very... It was, I mean, that's the one thing, it was like... It was kind of brutal in a yeah, way, Yeah, yeah, it honest. was bleak. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those films that you can't say, oh, I, I sort of liked or disliked it. It was just... You endured it, you watched it, and then, you know, the effect was was, was really powerful. I was yeah. like, you know, I was thinking a lot about what, the ways in which it, it, it's depicting how society is acting on, especially the young girl had nowhere to go, mm -hmm. she couldn't tell it to tell yeah, her parents or anything so yeah, yeah. so have, have you got anything you're looking forward to over the next couple of days to come oh 
Um, yeah, mostly uh, the timing young one. Okay. Yeah, that's your days. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, who, and who are you writing for? Uh, have you uh, got is okay. for this one. Yeah, I'm writing just a couple of reviews this time. But yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm a freelancer, so it depends. Right. I've, I've written for like hyper allergic with yeah, my yeah, lines. Yeah, and yeah then... your bylines are all over the place. So I didn't, yeah, want, to, I didn't no. want to reel them off. <laughs> that's but, um, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll link to all of that on the, oh, thank uh, you. On yeah. the website. But great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you again for inviting me. It was great. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Down beneath the ashes and stone. I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. You going to New York? What are you doing there? Seeing family and stuff. Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Do not sleep here. Where's the rest of the money? I want to make sure that you're safe. I know this is hard. So hopefully you enjoyed those discussions. Thanks to, to Joseph, to Savina, to Alex, and to Serena for their time. Going back to the beginning, Neil, the, one of the things about the pre press accreditation, you realise what an industry of press opinion there is, and they're all under various uh, constraints in terms of the number of films that they've got to review and deadlines. It's one of the great things about the podcast, isn't it, yeah. that we don't have to worry too much about that. So I really thank them for, for giving up their time. Yeah, any time yeah, that people sort of take the time to come out and, and kind of talk to us is is greatly appreciated and yeah like you say it's, it's it's just great to hear that kind of buzz and that kind of thought about what's going on as it's as it's happening that's really exciting and hopefully yeah our listeners uh, enjoyed that because for us it's 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 a bit different isn't it you know we can just sort of drift in and out of things and um, and hopefully see some things that kind of cross over with what everyone's talking about but also hopefully, hopefully you know one or two things that are a little bit um yeah off the beaten track like little girl which uh, was just great to hear you kind of talking about that and uh, yeah just um thanks to everyone for listening and what a lovely day it's been so far just hanging out with you in berlin talking movies yeah great. loved it absolutely brilliant and um we'll be back again for the uh, beginning of uh, your episode to come which i'm really looking forward to so we're we're off now to see some more movies i know kelly reichardt is you know you are itching to get in for that <laughs> yeah but we've got one before that so yep. uh it's going to be a great day of, of movies um yeah and hopefully hopefully much to much to discuss and celebrate later on brilliant so this has been the cinematologist podcast thanks for listening